0: You know, there's something very sacred about an evening like this. We talk about Good Friday. It's holy. It's set aside. It's a time to be silent and formal. It's a time to think about the fact that we, not just the Romans and the Jews, put Jesus on the cross, Gentiles and Jews. But we, all of us, by virtue of the fact that we are sinners, all of us put Christ on the cross. So in some sense, it's kind of hard to come to an evening like this, and I suppose because we're human, to try to think of how we would feel if It had been our son who had been put on the cross. Maybe God is a little angry on Good Friday with what humanity did to his son. I mean, that's how we might think if we try to imagine ourselves being God, but that's dangerous. And uh, as we were worshiping, singing, I just thought to myself, you know, if Jesus were here in person, I think he would probably come a bit closer to you and me. And I think he'd let us see the scars in his wrist. But I don't think he'd be mad. I I think he'd look at us and say, you know, the Father and I love you. And thanks for remembering how much we love you tonight. So I don't want you to feel distant from God tonight. Because that's not what he wants. Yes, somber. Yes, reflective. Yes, take this evening seriously because it is so serious. But understand the overarching theme is love. God's love for you and for me. I didn't plan on saying that. <laughs> I just felt I should add that tonight. Maybe you needed to hear that because maybe some of us are sitting here feeling very guilty tonight. We put him on the cross. What I do want to talk to you about tonight, though, is we'll talk about feet. <laughs> talk about foot. You know. Feet are an amazing part of our anatomy. Some people are very proud of their feet. They have good-looking feet. Some of us are uh, less proud of our feet. Maybe people have told you you have you have ugly feet. <laughs> but um, I was I was talking to uh, Pastor John Odom. You know our our new pastor on staff who's going to be doing the church at the U of M. You may not know this, but he has his PhD in anatomy and cellular biology. Kind of a smart guy. He knows a lot about feet. We spent about half an hour talking about feet the other day. <laughs> I found out that there are about uh, 33 bones in your foot. And... Uh, there are about 26 joints and over 100 muscles, tendons, and ligaments that go into your foot. And that actually our feet are a very vital part of our bodies. Stub your toe and you'll know that. Break an ankle and you'll know that. Cut your foot, step on a nail, and you'll know that. I mean, our feet provide us balance. Our feet make it possible for us to walk, to run, to jump. Our feet are integral to some major parts of our body, like our legs and our hips and our spine, and yes, even our our brain. But the one thing that John said to me that stuck out from everything else is, he said, you know, Dale, he said, um, God gave us feet because he wants us to move. that's very true. Why else would God give us feet if he didn't want us to move? We go all kinds of places with our feet, don't we? To school, to work. Play sports, go to the beach, go skiing, all kinds of places that you and I go with our, with our feet. And you know, some feet are, are very famous. And we think about some celebrities, their feet, some sports stars, and their feet strength they have, the agility they have, the movement they have. But you know, as I was thinking about this, I, I thought about one, I thought about one person's feet. I thought about Neil Armstrong. That's what came to my mind right away. And I thought, you know, the, uh, those are some important feet. He is the first man to step on the moon. Can you imagine that? I was a kid when that happened and I remember Our family, I want to say it's like 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, gathered around the television to watch a man put his foot down on the lunar surface. How many of you remember that? Probably remember what he said too, right? That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And then I thought some more, and I, I realized that uh, the greatest feat in all of history belonged to Jesus Christ. And you know, the feet of Jesus were, were always on the move. Always, always going someplace. I want you to imagine with me for just a couple of minutes that. This foot, replica of an ancient foot, sandaled foot. I just want you to imagine, as you look at that, that it represents the foot, the feet of Jesus. Use your imagination. There are about 19 different passages in the Bible that speak directly about Jesus' feet or indirectly. And scholars tell us that his feet would have traveled thousands of miles up and down and across Israel during his lifetime here on this earth. The passage that came to my mind was Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. You know, uh, Jesus had a motive for all of his moving. Everywhere he went with his feet, and he had a purpose. That passage tells us that the motive, the intention, the reason behind Jesus Walking all those miles was because of his love. It was his love that motivated him to go to all the towns, villages, big city of Jerusalem. Love was behind him going. Love is what drove his feet forward. The passage also tells me that... um, That love gave him a purpose, and so his feet took him to people who were down and out and hurting, and he healed some, and he delivered some. He raised a few back to life again. But the most important thing his feet did is his feet took him to those places so he could announce the good news of God's love. God's kingdom was now amongst men if they'd repented their sins and put their faith in his son, they would be born again. So Jesus always had a purpose for wherever he went. To let people know about God's great love. Perhaps the most important place, though, that Jesus' feet ever took him was to Jerusalem. He'd been there many times as a boy and as a man. But on his last journey there, he said to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 21, For that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so on a Thursday night, Jesus' feet took him up some stairs into what we think of as the upper room. He had sent his disciples there ahead of time to prepare for a final Passover meal. And Luke tells us that while they were sitting around the table having their meal. They were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Can you imagine? And While all that was going on, we learn in John chapter 13 that Jesus got up from the table. Actually, he would have been kind of lying on his side with all the others and took off his outer robe and wrapped a towel around him. And took a basin of water and filled it uh, and, and poured the water into it and then came around and began to wash all of their feet. Can you imagine how uncomfortable they must have been? How uncomfortable would you be having Jesus wash your feet? Especially knowing that it's something you should have done because he sent you to prepare for the meal. And part of preparing for the meal was to make sure that everybody who walked into the room had the courtesy of their head anointed with oil and their feet washed from the dust of the day. But men who argue about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God aren't about to stoop down and wash each other's feet. And so Jesus did. Jesus used his feet to stoop down and wash their feet. Listen to what it says in John 13. I'm going to read a compilation of the verses there. Verse 4 says, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. i tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Come down to verse 34. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And then we know, as Adam read for us, that Jesus' feet then carried him and that cross up that old rugged hill. And along the way, Jesus' feet gave out because he'd been beaten so badly, and he fell under the weight of that cross. And Simon of Cyrene took it the rest of the way up, and there they nailed his wrist—Greek word for hand there means wrist—to the crossbeam. And according to Psalm 22, and what we know from archaeology and history, they probably also nailed his feet, but not one bone would have been broken when it drove the spike through his feet. And he died. There on the cross for you and for me. Jesus' feet teach us a lot about his character. It teaches a lot about his purpose. It teaches us a lot about his expectations of you and me. Because now what I want you to do is is I want you to now imagine that this is your foot. Your feet. Yours. Try to imagine that. What is Jesus saying to you and me about our feet, about our moves and our movement? Well, one of the things that he's saying to us, I think, is that wherever you go, whether it's to school or to work or to the mall or the pickleball court or to the beach or across the street to your neighbor or across the room to your family or your friends, that wherever your feet go, Jesus would like for you to let him guide your feet. I guess what I could say is that Jesus would like to use your feet to continue doing with your feet what he did with his feet. He would like you from now on, he would like me from now on, to make sure that wherever we go, that we go with the motive of his love. Can you do that? Maybe I should ask, will you do that? See, that's what would make Good Friday really unique and special. That's what would please him the most if we all walked out of here and said, you know, from now on, my feet belong to you, Lord, and wherever I go, I'm going to go with this motive of love. I'm going to let you use my feet to bring your love to everybody I meet by the countenance of my face, by the words that I speak, and by my actions. You see, I know that the Lord would also like to use your feet to carry a cross. say, so what do you mean by that? The Bible says that we are called to bear our cross. Well, what does it mean to bear your cross? To bear your cross simply means to yield your life and to say to God, God, I, I accept your will, whatever your will might be. Even if it means I suffer, even if it means I'm denied, even if it means I'm betrayed. I'm willing to do your will. I'm willing to love the people that hate me the way you love the people that hated you. God, I will will bear whatever you give me in this life with your feet. Because my feet are your feet. And then when I think about my feet being his feet, his feet using my feet. I wonder to myself, how is it possible? How is it possible that I can love like Jesus? How is it possible that I can, I can go and, and serve and, and bring hope everywhere I go? How can I do that? How can that happen in my life? And that takes me to just one more story, and I'm going to wrap it up over in Luke chapter 7 because it's a picture of what I think can help you and me have feet like Jesus and It's ultimately what this evening is all about. It's a story about Jesus going to the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And uh, Simon was, I mean, he was your typical Pharisee, rather arrogant. He thought that righteousness was all about how well you keep the law, and he was kind of curious about Jesus. And so he invited Jesus over for dinner, while Jesus was there, a woman in town showed up. And not just any woman. This was a very immoral woman with a reputation. She crashed the party. Let me read what it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And it just ticked off Simon. He couldn't understand how Jesus could allow a woman, an ungodly, immoral woman like that, to touch him, let alone kiss his feet, and and him receive her. Jesus told Simon a little parable. He said, those who are forgiven love much. Those who, who are forgiven much, I should say, Those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. That is, those who don't recognize how much they need forgiveness tend to be kind of hard and calloused in their heart. Jesus put it this way in verse 44, when he looked at the woman, he said, as he turned to the woman, he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, here's what I'm convinced of. Until you and I know how sinful we really are, how deserving we really are of God's judgment and God's wrath. Until that grips us and moves us to fall at his feet and realize that in spite of our sinfulness, he poured out his life for you and me, all because he loves us, all because he wants us to be reconciled to himself. Until that grips us, we'll never be at that place where we can say to him, Lord, here's my feet. Take and use them. They belong to you. You paid everything for them. So tonight, you and I, as we take communion together, have an opportunity, spiritually speaking, to come to the feet of Jesus and to acknowledge who he is and what he's done for us and to worship him. And to pour out our best on his feet. And to kiss his feet. And to say to him, Lord, you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my life. You are worthy of my very, very being. Because of who you are and what you've done for me. Lord, I surrender my feet. My life. My coming and my going to you. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, you invite us spiritually right now to the feet of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, it takes us moving, spiritually speaking, our feet to you. We need to bring ourselves to you tonight. We need to bring all our guilt and all our shame and all our fear and all our burdens to you. Lay them down at your feet. Tonight, Lord, accept your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness healing, your hope, your help. Tonight, oh God, is about just receiving all of that mercy that you poured out on the cross. Let it wash over us tonight, oh God. Let it humble us tonight. Let it leave us like that woman washing your feet with tears of not just repentance but tears of joy. In the next few moments our service will come down and pass the communion plate. If you'd please take the little cup, but don't open it yet. I'll come back and we'll partake of it together. But use this time now to bring yourself before Christ.